on May the 25th, 2001, a renowned mountain climber, a guy called Eric Weinmeier, reached the summit of Mount Everest. A year later, he became one of only 150 different climbers who'd climbed the seven summits. That's the highest peaks in each of the seven continents in this world. And if that wasn't impressive enough, Eric also kayaked the entire 277 miles of the Grand Canyon, one of the most formidable white water routes in the world. He also completed the Leadville, Leadville 100 mountain bike race, a 100 mile race in the Colorado Rockies at a height of more than 10,000 feet above sea level for the whole of the route. It's an impressive list of achievements this guy has got. But with Eric, this list is even more incredible because of just one fact. That is, because since he was a teenager, Eric has been completely blind. He climbed Mount Everest, climbed all those mountains, kayaked down the Grand Canyon, and cycled that route all while being completely blind. Being able to see would seem to be a necessary qualification in order to achieve any of these things. And yet, for Eric, he hasn't let his lack of sight stop him from doing what he loves. Now, if we've trusted in Jesus, we also face a kind of similar challenge in our lives. Last week, Peter encouraged us to lift up our hearts and praise God for all that he has given us through Christ. Our new birth into a living hope with a guaranteed inheritance and a complete security in God's hands and an indestructible joy. Peter encouraged us that despite our suffering because of the many trials in our lives, these gifts of God's mercy are ours and nothing and no one can ever take them from us. But our problem is that we can't see all of these realities. We can't always see the spiritual reality of our new birth in Christ in our lives. We can't yet see heaven and all of the glory. We don't always feel secure in God's hands. So how can we rejoice in who we are and what we have in Christ when we can't see it? But Peter continues in this letter, encourages us that we don't need to be limited by that. He wants us to grab hold of these realities, to rejoice in them, to believe in them, without seeing. So we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're in verse 8, down to verse 12. This is what Peter writes. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. As an apostle, Peter had the amazing privilege of having seen Jesus. He was there looking and watching when Jesus taught those amazing truths. Peter saw Jesus reach out in compassion and love to the despised and the rejected. He saw Jesus stand up against the greed, the greed and the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. He saw Jesus take a towel and in love, wash his disciples' feet. He saw Jesus perform amazing miracles. Healing the sick, delivering the possessed, feeding the crowds, calming the storm, walking in water, raising the dead. He even saw Jesus risen from the grave, as we were thinking about last week. But like us, the people that Peter was writing to hadn't seen that. Peter says, you haven't seen him. You do not see him now. They hadn't been there when Jesus walked on the earth. And they hadn't had the privilege that Paul had on the road to Damascus of seeing Jesus. Of Jesus appearing to them. So like us, the readers of this letter, the very first readers, hadn't seen Jesus. But Peter was encouraging them that this didn't need to prevent them from entering into the joy that he'd just written about. He wrote, though you have not seen him, you love him. On a beach, after the resurrection... Three times Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And each time Peter emphatically replied, yes Lord, you know that I love you. This was Peter's restoration, cancelling out as it were the three denials that Peter declared that he didn't even know Jesus on the night that Jesus was arrested. But even more amazing, Peter could re rejoice that these Christians, despite having never met Jesus for themselves, that they'd come to love Jesus passionately from their hearts. And that's why so many of us are here this morning. We love Him. Not because we've seen Him. But rather we love because he first loved us.
Our hearts have been filled with love for him in response to his amazing love for us. Expressed in his humble birth, in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death, and his victorious and glorious resurrection. Jesus loved us. So we have loved him. But these Christians didn't only love Jesus. Peter also said, though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Despite the fact that they'd never seen Jesus, they'd never seen him do all these miracles, they'd never listened face to face when he taught these amazing truths, they'd put their faith in Jesus. They'd repented of depending on themselves and their own goodness or their own religion. And instead they'd put their trust completely in Jesus. In Jesus as a forgiver of their sins and the leader of their lives. Now for many people, that just seems impossible. Some people say that we cannot believe in what we cannot see. They say seeing is believing. In fact, I think I saw a sticker on somebody's car on Saturday. A Leinster rugby sticker. I don't know what it's about. But it said seeing is believing. They're like Thomas on Resurrection Sunday. I'm sure many of you remember about how he'd been absent when Jesus appeared to the disciples on Resurrection Sunday. Up in that locked room where they were, they were hiding from the Jewish authorities because they were scared. So when they excitedly told uh, Thomas that Jesus was alive, this is how he answered. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Like many today, he refused to believe unless he saw the evidence for himself. But sight is not a requirement for faith. We don't need to see in order to believe. A week later, Jesus appeared to Thomas and the rest of the, the disciples and gave, him, gave Thomas the evidence that he demanded. But when Thomas declared his faith, this is what Jesus said. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's what these scattered Christians whom Peter was writing to had done. And that's what so many of us have done. Isn't it? We haven't seen Jesus. And yet we believe in him. We live by faith and not by sight. We live by believing in Jesus even although we have not seen him with our eyes. But even though we haven't seen him, this has had a profound impact on us. Peter says that these Christians were filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now sometimes it's difficult for us as believers to connect to that joy. 
sometimes it's difficult for us as believers to express that joy. In the Bible, it's described as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Something that, that takes time to grow and develop and ripen in our lives. So, sometimes it's not as, as present as we would like it to be. But I'm sure that many of us have experienced this joy. Not this superficial happiness just when happenings go well. But an overwhelming, deep, and just difficult to explain joy that comes when we put our trust in Jesus and we just know that we're a child of God. Anybody experience that joy? Yeah? I'm glad. And this joy, it's not just associated with all the things that we're looking forward to. That's what we're thinking about last week. There is so much more to come for all of us who have trusted in Jesus. We have this living hope of a glorious future and a guaranteed inheritance that when we see it will just blow our minds. But none of us have entered into the the fullness of that yet. There is a heaven that we still long for. So Paul talks about us groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, sometimes we say to, to, to God, God, let me just go to heaven now. I'm just desperate to go. But only after Jesus comes back will these words come true that in Revelation chapter 21, that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. What a day that will be when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But that's not yet. That's still to come. We're still waiting for that. But that doesn't mean that we need to wait before we can rejoice in the experience of our salvation. That doesn't mean that now we just need to go through the difficulty and later will be the rejoicing. There can be rejoicing now. Peter says we can rejoice now because you are receiving the goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls. You are receiving it. Three aspects to our salvation. When we trusted in Jesus, whether that was yesterday, 10 years ago, 40 years ago as it was for me. Can you believe 40 years ago? I know I don't look that older. Don't answer that one. Uh, 40 years ago or even longer, and I'm probably not trying to pick out whoever it is that is longer. However long it was, the moment that we trusted in Jesus, the Bible declares we were saved. All of our sins were forgiven, once and for all. And one day, when Jesus comes back, we will be saved. We will be rescued from this sin-cursed and fallen world. So we were saved the moment we trusted in Jesus. We will be saved when Jesus comes back again. But just now, Peter says, we are being 
saved. As we live out that new relationship with Jesus. Today we are able to experience God's love in our hearts. Today we are able to experience God's peace to overcome anxiety. We are able to rejoice in God's presence to guide us. We are able to depend on God's protection to shield us. And we can experience God's power to enable us to live a different kind of life. Peter says this is something that even angels haven't experienced. Peter says that even angels long to look into these things. Angels have seen some things that we have never seen. They rejoice when God created the world, it says. They've, they've seen God. They've seen His glory. They've experienced the wonder of heaven. But they don't know what it is to be saved. They've never experienced to be adopted into God's family as His child. They don't know the joy of being forgiven. They haven't entered into the wonders of God's grace. So what this all means is yes we cannot see Jesus yet but we can see the impact of his presence in our lives. We can see the love that he has formed for him in our hearts. We can see our faith in Christ. We can see our joy in Christ. And we can see our growing and developing relationship with Christ. This is our personal experience. This is our testimony. Like Joanna was sharing with us this morning. And it gives us that assurance that we can trust in Christ for all that's to come. Remember your personal experience with Christ. Don't discount that. That is evidence that can encourage you to grow in your faith. But we don't just need to rely on our personal experience. Verse 10 says we can also listen to the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come. The Old Testament prophets is what Peter's talking about. Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel and all the others they spoke to the people of Israel to the nation of Israel they spoke about contemporary issues that the nation was, was, was struggling with they challenged them to repent of their sin and to come back to the living God but they spoke about more than just that They weren't just speaking to their audience and to their nation about what they were facing right there and then. They spoke of a gift from God that was to come. They spoke about Jesus. Verse 11, the Spirit of Christ in them predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glory that was to come. 
These prophets were inspired by God's Holy Spirit to talk about, to speak about the coming Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. The one who would restore God's people and would lead them into the life to which they'd been called. And this is what Jesus said the Old Testament is all about. This is the focus. This is the central message of of the Old Testament. He challenged the Pharisees. The Pharisees were experts in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament Scriptures. They read them intently. They studied them. They memorized them. And he said, these are the Scriptures that testify about me. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. And there were two main aspects of this Old Testament prophecy. There are some that pointed to the servant who would come and suffer for his people. They powerfully and accurately describe all that Jesus would go through in order to save us. For example, Psalm 22. We don't have time to read it all this morning, but it's an amazing psalm. Have a look at it if you've never read it, uh, maybe on, later on today. Written by David about a thousand years before Jesus was born. Thousand years before Jesus. And yet, listen to some of the words it says. Verse 1 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words that Jesus cried from the cross. Then, verse 7 All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads, as the people did as they walked by Jesus on the cross. Verse 16 They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. An amazing description. All those years previously about the suffering of Jesus on the cross. But there are also amazing prophecies that describe the sovereign, the king, who is going to come and who is going to establish God's kingdom in power and glory. So Psalm 22 goes on to say this. Verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. Suffering and glory that was to come. And these two aspects of suffering and glory are the things that Jesus highlighted to his two friends who he met on the road to Emmaus on Resurrection Sunday. In Luke chapter 24, it says, Jesus said this to them, How foolish you are! And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Suffering first, then glory afterwards. But although the prophets predicted this, they didn't know when all this was going to take place. Peter says that they searched intently, trying 
to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. They tried to understand this, but they couldn't. Because from their perspective, the suffering and the glory of Christ was so closely connected. The way it's pictured is like this. Excuse my artwork. From their perspective, the suffering and the glory was like a mountain, two mountain peaks, one behind the other, which viewed from that, their perspective seemed to be so close that they were one event. So the prophets, from the prophets' viewpoint, they saw the first and the second coming of Jesus as one event. They spoke of the suffering and the glory to come. But when we look side on, with, from our perspective, we can see that separating these two peaks is a great valley. From our perspective, we know that the suffering and the glory between them, between the first and the second coming of Christ, is a huge amount of time. The church age that so far has lasted for 2,000 years. So the prophets, they saw those two things together. But we can see that they are divided. They are separated by years. Now the Old Testament prophets, they didn't understand all of this. They just wrote down what the Holy Spirit told them. Peter said this. And I think this is an amazing thing. Verse 12. They wrote it down because it was revealed to them. That they were not serving themselves, but you. The Old Testament prophets were not serving themselves, but they were serving you. The Old Testament wasn't written for their benefit. It was written for us. It was written for our benefit. It was written so that we could look back... And see how God kept His promise in sending His Son to suffer and to die on the cross for our sins. And because we see how God fulfilled His promises in such an amazing way, we can look forward in confidence that Jesus will come back again and He will enter His glory. If Jesus kept, if God kept the promises of Jesus' suffering so perfectly, then we can be confident that God will keep the promises of Jesus' glory so perfectly. And what that means is that although we have to suffer just now, the grief of many different trials in our lives, we can be confident in God's promise of glory to come. Suffering now and glory later. Peter will later on say in this letter, Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. So we can listen to our personal experience. We can listen to the prophets. But we can also listen to the preachers. 
These are the people, verse 12, who have preached the gospel to, the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. They have confirmed the message of the prophets by faithfully declaring and explaining the message of Jesus to us. Who are these prophets? Well, they include Peter and the rest of the apostles. The ones who first listened to Jesus and then shared his message with other people. They did this in person. They also did this in the words of the New Testament, written by the apostles. They too were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Just as God, uh, Jesus promised them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And so today, as believers, we don't just have the promises of the Old Testament. The promises about Christ written in that part of the Bible. We also have the eyewitness accounts of Jesus in the New Testament. So what that means is all of this book was written for us to help us to know Christ. But the preachers of the gospel aren't just the apostles. They're also the millions of faithful men and women and young people who have accepted Jesus' commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And some of the people who listened to that call and obeyed it, some of them shared the gospel with us. God didn't leave us in the dark. God didn't leave us just in the, with our blindness of not seeing and not knowing Jesus. Instead, he sent someone to tell us about Jesus. Someone to tell us about how Jesus could be our Savior, how he could be our Lord. I wonder who that person was for you. Was that a parent? A brother, a sister? Was it a friend? Was it a work colleague? Was it a neighbour? A pastor? A kids worker? A youth worker? Bible study leader? Was it even just a stranger? Who you met on the street? Somebody preached the gospel to you. They shared this wonderful message to you and they were empowered and equipped by the God's Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to you. And as a, re- a result, we were drawn to faith in Christ. Because faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. You know what this means? It means that process mustn't stop with them, with us. If it was vitally important for someone to tell us about Jesus, then it's vitally important that we go and tell somebody else. That we take that message else to other people. Like Joanna was encouraging us and challenging us with this morning. So folks, yes, it's true. We can't see everything yet. We haven't seen Jesus face to face. We haven't seen all that he has won for us on the cross. We haven't seen the glory of heaven yet. 
But that doesn't mean that we need to be limited by our lack of sight. Because we have our personal experience of Jesus. We have the prophets of Scripture who predicted the suffering and the glory of Jesus. And we have the preachers of the Gospel who explained the message of Jesus to us. And so we can believe without seeing. And we can live in the hope and the security and the joy of our new life in Christ.